Hello, boys and girls. This is Dr. John here, and welcome once again to the Children's Story Hour. And Artie Sue is here with us. Hello, Artie Sue. Hello, Dr. John. I'm very happy to be here. You know, Artie Sue, today we have two storytellers, and their names are Pastor Daniel Chinzio and Mrs. Tammy Chinzio. But I think the names that they are going to be known by is much more exciting. He's Ranger Dan and Mrs. Tammy. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? Yes, it does. We're really looking forward to hearing from them. And they must be good storytellers because they have three children and they get lots of stories. Boys and girls, we love getting messages from you. Auntie Sue, can you give us some details of how to contact us? Yes, you can write to us at Children's Story Hour, 3ABN Australia Radio, PO Box 752, Morissette 2264, New South Wales, Australia, or email at radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. You can also check us out at the radio page on the 3ABN Australia website. The web address is www.3abnaustralia.org.au. I think it would be nice, Auntie Sue, if we had a little prayer before we started. Would you like to pray? Yes. Dear Father, thank you for the children who are listening today. Please draw close to them as they listen to these stories and warm their hearts. Please keep them safe until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Auntie Sue. You know, boys and girls, when you write to us, you might like to tell us why you like the stories or which story you like the best, and you might even have some suggestions or stories. And if you're not very good at writing, just send us a picture that you have drawn and have your name on it. We would be so thrilled to read your name out and so the other boys and girls could know that you have been listening to our stories. So, boys and girls, let's wait now for another story from the Children's Story Hour. Hi girls and boys, this is Uncle Alan and I have a story for you called Where the Fish Went. Kathy had a fish pond in her garden. It was a very pretty one with water lilies and a small island, but no fish. One day her dad brought home half a dozen goldfish. Kathy was very happy to get them and she put them one by one into the pond. Eagerly she watched them swim away as fast as they could in all directions. Weeks and months passed by. Then Kathy noticed some tiny little fish in the pond. They were dark brown in colour, and she wondered how they came to be there. But Dad said they were baby goldfish, and would take on their bright colouring as soon as they grew bigger. Kathy fed her fish faithfully. After a while, she had lots of lovely goldfish in her pond. There were so many that she decided to take some out and put them in a fish tank in her bedroom. 
First she put some gravel at the bottom of the tank, then some green stuff and finally the fish, which went swimming around and around looking very pretty as the light shone on them. Then a day or two later when Cathy went into her bedroom, she noticed that the tank was empty. The fish had disappeared. Where could they have gone? Fish don't go visiting. Running to her mum, she told her strange story. Mum could hardly believe it. But I saw the fish in the tank myself only last night, she said, and nobody has been in your room since. Could it have been the cat? asked Cathy. It could, said Mum. Cats love to eat fish, but no cat could have eaten them all without leaving some trace. Then what can have happened to them? asked Cathy. I don't know, said Mum. Did you ask Carol? Carol, said Cathy. I never thought about her. She's too young to take them. I think I'd ask her anyway, said Mum. Cathy ran to find her little sister. Carol, she said, did you touch my fish? Carol didn't answer, but she blushed deeply, so much so that she didn't need to say a word. Where have you put them, asked Cathy sternly. I'll show you, said Carol, and she did. Pulling aside the curtain in her bedroom, she pointed to a large jam jar crammed with goldfish, all panting for breath. Carol, cried Cathy, you naughty girl, you could have killed them. But the fish weren't dead. Cathy had found them just in time. Soon she had them back in her fish tank, swimming about as happily as before. Some days later, Cathy had another shock. Going into her garden one afternoon, she walked over to the pond to take a look at her fish. But there were no fish there, not one. All had vanished. Where could they have gone? Who could have taken so many? She thought of Carol. Surely Carol couldn't have emptied the whole pond. Carol, she called, have you been touching my goldfish again? There was no answer, so Cathy set out to search for Carol and her fish. She found them, but oh, what a sight met her eyes. As she went into Carol's bedroom, she saw goldfish all over the place. There were fish on the floor, fish on the bed, fish under the bed, and more fish in the bucket in which Carol had carried them indoors. Some were flopping around, others were quite still. Those under the bed were splashing about in a shallow pool of water, almost at their last gasp. Carol, said Cathy, what are you doing? Just playing. I'm pretending I have a fish pond in my bedroom, said Carol. Mum, cried Cathy, desperately gathering up the live fish and putting them back in the bucket. Come and see what Carol has done. Mum came. As you can guess, she was not well pleased with what she saw. Carol, she said very solemnly, it was very wrong of you to touch Cathy's fish. See how many of them you've killed? Stay away from that pond. For one thing, you could fall in and drown. For another, I can see you know nothing about fish. And Mum went on to explain that fish need water to stay alive, that the water should be kept at an even temperature, that they should not be crowded into a small container, and that if they are, some will jump out and die. This was the first of a number of lessons that Mum gave Carol. Some were about fish, 
Others were about cruelty to living things. Still others were about the point at which silly behaviour becomes downright naughty. Boys and girls, it's Auntie Cecily back again. I hope you're comfortable and you're ready to listen to the next chapter in our story from Libby and his bush friends. Chapter 6 Breakfast's Ready. It always seemed like breakfast time at our place. There was breakfast for Barry and me in the morning, and there was breakfast in the evening for all the nocturnal animals. God made the bush animals with healthy appetites for bush food, which is best for them. But somehow we always seemed to have treats that the bush animals wanted. Most of our friendships with the birds and animals were established through food. Over time, the native animals and birds grew to trust us and didn't move away when we quietly approached them. Because Libby was still a joey, he needed the company of his mother. I carried him around with me quite often while I was at home. He fitted nicely inside my dressing gown. I wore a belt to prevent him from falling through to the ground. Other times I carried him under my jumper, which was tucked in at the waist. He liked that. Not only was he warm, but he also had free rides. He seemed to like his rides, just as children like piggyback rides. But there was always the issue of food. Once I was enjoying a bowl of fruit salad and whipped cream for breakfast while Libby slept inside my dressing gown. As he dozed, his nose began to twitch. Needless to say, he did not stay asleep for very long. The next thing I knew, he was pushing his head out through the buttons of my dressing gown. Oh no, Libby, that's my breakfast, I cried as he grabbed the edge of the bowl and began to help himself to the cream-coated fruit. Barry, help me, Libby is eating my breakfast. Instead of rescuing me, Barry ran and fetched the camera. That photo just cost me my breakfast, I sighed. I appreciate the photo now. It brings back fond memories of the times we had with him when he was young. Of all the fruits Libby enjoyed, Pawpaw remained his favourite. It was Barry's favourite fruit too. Barry was an expert at selecting ripe, full-flavoured pawpaws at the supermarket. On one occasion, he bought one and placed it in a wooden bowl on top of the refrigerator out of harm's way, or so he thought. Savouring its aroma and pressing the flesh gently, he said, Hmm, this pawpaw is ready to eat. I'm going to really enjoy this for breakfast in the morning. Barry arrived in the kitchen the next morning with great enthusiasm for breakfast. And now for some delicious pawpaw, he said, stretching up to retrieve his treat from the top of the refrigerator. What's this? he exclaimed in dismay as the perfect orange-yellow fruit collapsed between his fingers. Libby's stolen my pawpaw! 
No doubt the aroma of the ripe pawpaw wafted up to the rafters above where Libby was supposedly resting the night before. He obviously managed to drop onto the top of the refrigerator while we were in another part of the house. He had a feast. He ate away the pawpaw from the back, so it still looked untouched from the front view, but in reality only skin and seeds were left. The pawpaw was perched in the bowl like a shop facade, all window dressing and nothing behind. Not surprisingly, Libby didn't bother to turn up for our breakfast that morning. He was probably curled up somewhere sleeping off a bulging tummy. I think it was just as well that he didn't show up that morning under the circumstances. Libby also loved sultanas. If I was making porridge with sultanas in it, Libby would not stay in my jacket or on my shoulder. He would run down my arm. It was all I could do to stop him from jumping into the pot of porridge. When we finally sat down to eat our porridge, Libby was right there, waiting for me to pick out some plump, juicy sultanas for him to eat. Libby would eat the porridge too if we permitted him, but the Parks and Wildlife Ranger warned us not to give dried cat or dog food, bread or other grains to marsupials because they can't digest these foods properly. They can get sick and even die from such a diet. Marsupials are a special group of mammals that carry their young in pouches. Sunshine was also a marsupial, so we had to be careful what we gave her to eat as well. Sometimes this was difficult because Libby and Sunshine both loved bread, toast, porridge and in Sunshine's case, dog biscuits, but that's another story. Possums and wallabies also love fresh grapes. Sultanas, Libby's favourite, are simply dried grapes. If Barry fed grapes to one of the possums from the bush... It wasn't long before Sunshine was by his side, not wanting to miss out on any goodies. As you can gather, we always had plenty of fruit on hand. Fruit was very healthy for Libby and his bush friends, as well as for Barry and me. Just as we had to select carefully the food we gave to our bush friends, Jesus wants us to eat only the food that will make us grow healthy and strong and wise. He created all the wonderful fruits, vegetables, nuts and grains for us to eat. Even the bush animals in their natural environment obey God's laws in this regard. As 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. God lovingly and thoughtfully made us, which means we belong to him. He knows what is best for us. He wants us to be healthy and happy. We can learn a lesson from his creatures. We too must be careful to eat and drink only those things that will build strong bodies and minds to serve God as best we can.
boys and girls, it's story time. And this is Uncle Gordon to bring you another story from the South Pacific Islands. We are about to learn more about what happened on Rarotonga. It was a Sunday morning when we were working there, and this was the church where Naomi was helping us to build. And we were putting the last layer of bricks on the, on the walls. It was to be a concrete brick building with an iron roof, and uh, we'd worked hard for many months, and now we're on the last layer. But the, th- the thing that worried me was this man that walked up and down the street in front of the church, and he was just making a nuisance of himself. It was quite evident he was one of those bush beer men. He walked up and down there and sang out stupid things and made a nuisance of himself, and we wished he'd go away. We wished that he'd find somewhere else to go. But he didn't, and uh, he was there all morning. And it was quite evident he was very much uh, under the weather of his alcohol, and he was a heavy smoker. He did nothing else but smoke all morning. And then, round about noon, the ladies started to arrive. They were bringing baskets of beautiful food that we were to have for our lunch. And we were getting hungry too because we were working hard since early morning. And as we got down off the scaffolding and went across to where the ladies were setting up table, we were washing our hands and making ourselves ready. And I was keeping my eye on the road and seeing if this drunkard out there was thinking of coming in. Sure enough, this fellow started walking in towards the church. I thought, oh, no, he's not coming in here. Surely not. Now, Pastor Martin Moore was my assistant, and he saw him come in. I said, you go and tell him he's not welcome here. And uh, Pastor Martin Moore went across there. And after a while, I saw him walking back towards me with this man. Oh, I thought, he's not bringing him in here, is he? Surely not. And he, he came right up to me and he said, Pastor, this is Toro. He wants to talk with you. And I said, oh, yes, what's he want? I don't know. He just wants to talk with you. And so uh, I didn't want him anywhere near the tables where the food was. As I looked at him, his hair was all matted, and it stank, stank something terrible. His teeth were all brown from the tobacco he smoked. His fingers were the same. And I felt terribly sorry for him, but I, I didn't want him anywhere near the places. So I said, all right, Toto, come over here. And I took him over to where the cement shed was. Not the nicest place, a lot of dust there, but I said, it's far enough away from the tables anyway. So I took him inside the shed there and I said, Toto, what's the problem? Because he told me his name was Toto. Toto means two. Toto, Tasu, Toto, one, two. And so I said, you're number two, you've got a brother. Yes, he said, I've got a brother. And uh, I said, you're number two in the family. Yes. But he said, uh, I'm a no good man. I said, oh, that's not hard to see. What's your problem? Oh, he said... I'm no good. I do terrible things. I get drunk every weekend. I make bush beer. The police often put me in jail because I make bush beer. I just am no good. I have trouble with my family. I beat up my children. And uh, he said, I I, I just need to do something about it. And I said, well, I don't know how else I can help you, but I said, I know the Lord can help you. Would you like me to pray for you? Oh, yes, he said, please, pray for me, help me. I need help. I, I can't do it myself. I've tried. So we knelt down. It's not easy to kneel down in a shed that's covered with dust of, of uh, cement. But he knelt down there, and I began to pray, and I prayed earnestly for him. I felt sorry for him now. 
I could see that he was sincere wanting to change, but he had no way of changing in his own power. He needed help from above, and so I earnestly prayed the Lord would give him power and strength. And as we knelt there and I finished my prayer, I opened my eyes, and Toro was there with his face down towards the floor amongst the cement dust, and his hands over his face, and he was crying. And then he started to pray, and I think it must have been the first prayer he ever uttered. He said, God, I'm a no-good man. I don't know how to help myself. Will you put your hand down and lift me up and make me a good man? And then he began to rub his eyes and try and straighten his face up, and he stood up, still crying. And I could see that what he had prayed was an earnest prayer. And then I said, well, Toto, you better come and have some food with us. Oh, no, 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 he said, no, I'm not. He said, I'm going to go home and tell my parents, my family. And so he headed off and we had there. And I didn't think much more of him until what I'd said to him before he left. I said, I'm coming around to your place. I can't come tomorrow, Monday, but on Tuesday night I'm coming to your house and I'm going to have some Bible studies with you and help you to overcome these habits that you've got. Well, we uh, got through to Tuesday and I got dressed up and ready to go in and meet up with Toru and I said, I'm going to have Bible studies with him. So I took my Bible and as I got to his home, he came out to meet me and he was so clean. His teeth were still brown and his fingers were still brown from the smoke and uh, his hair was now clean and brushed and washed. He had clean clothes on. He looked different. It's quite evident, though, from his eyes that he was still suffering a bit of effects of alcoholism. And then, to my surprise, I met his family. I didn't realise that this was Naomi's dad. He was the man that had beat his daughter up for giving his money to the church when he was wanting tobacco. And so I had a beautiful Bible study with him. And... uh, I said, Toto, have you had any smoke since we met on Sunday? No, he said, I've not smoked. He said, have you had any drink? No, he said, no, no, I've had no drink. Are you telling me you've not had any smokes and no drinks since Sunday? Here it is Tuesday. No, sir, I've not had any. I've been tempted, but I just told the Lord I didn't want to smoke again. I didn't want to drink again. I said, that's wonderful, Toto. You keep that up. And so the next Sunday, while I was going to go down to work at the church, the new church we were building, I went round to his place and knocked on the door and his wife came out. I said, is Toto here? I couldn't see him anywhere about. I thought, oh, I hope he's not gone up the bush again, making bush beer, drinking with his mates. But I saw Naomi there. My, I thought, this is amazing. This is your dad. And I said, where is he? Oh, he's outside. Who, what's he doing out there? Oh, he's talking to the bush beer men. Oh, I said, no, please. What's he doing? Oh, he's trying to talk with them. So I went out the back there, and here's Toro sitting on a log with five men sitting opposite on another log, and he's talking to them with a Sabbath school lesson. He'd gone to church on the Sabbath, and they'd given him a lesson pamphlet, and he's trying to teach the lesson to these five bush beer men. And uh, I said, what are you going to do? Oh, he said, I want them all to come to up and help me on the church today. And they were not shaking their heads and saying, no, we're not coming. We're going back into the bush to have some drink. And he tried his hardest to get them, but he he couldn't make any change. Finally, they went off, and he came with me and worked worked on the church. That man never went back into alcohol or tobacco ever in his life. 
he had been working for the government or should be filling in time with the government and uh, he had a New Zealand boss working on the roads and that boss didn't like him becoming an Adventist at first but he said, I saw such a change in that man he said, I had to let let him have whatever was necessary to uh, get a job. He said, I'm now offered him a job of a night watchman. I said, what does that mean? Has he got to work on a Friday night? No, he said, I'm not going to even give him work on a Friday night. He can work any other time during the week, but I'm giving him his Sabbath free. Now, this man had bitterly opposed me when I was running evangelistic meetings in the church. He was an elder in one of the other churches, but now he had seen what had happened when the gospel of Jesus Christ got into this man and he wanted to give him every opportunity of making the best of his life. The Lord blessed Toru and he became a mighty man of God for the church. Boys and girls, the Lord is wanting to use you. It doesn't matter how young you are, but if you put your trust in him, he's always willing to make you a special item for him in his work. Sophie Lee here to read you another portion of the book, Ellen, The Girl with Two Angels, written by Mabel R. Miller. Suddenly Ellen awoke. She was full of joy. Jesus had smiled his beautiful smile upon her. Her fear was gone. In her happiness, she knew Jesus understood her desire to please him. She also knew she could trust him to save her. She fell asleep thinking of the beautiful Jesus, his tender smile and kind eyes. The Adventist people felt so excited about Jesus' coming that they gave most of the money they had to print papers. People could then preach and give away the papers to share the great news everywhere. Ellen, now 15, was eager to help spread the good news of Jesus' soon return. But she couldn't because she wasn't strong enough. In fact, at this time, she wasn't able to get out of bed. There must be some way we can help, she told her sisters, Sarah and Elizabeth. What can we do? The girls prayed earnestly to be able to help. Jesus put a thought into their minds. We'll give every cent we can earn to help tell people that Jesus is coming back, they decided. We don't need candy or toys. We won't even buy new clothes because we won't need them after Jesus comes. Ellen asked Papa if they could help make hats to earn money and to help pay for the printing of the papers. I'll give you a quarter for every hat crown you weave, he answered. A crown of a hat is the part that fits on your head. So every day, Sarah and Elizabeth came right home from school and hurried through their chores, then helped Ellen weave straw hats. The Harmon children had gone out into the fields after the wheat had been harvested. There they gathered the long stems of wheat and straw that had been dropped on the ground. At home they sorted the stems according to size and length so Ellen could use them. Now Ellen's sisters soaked straws in the water overnight. The next morning they ironed them flat so Ellen could weave them into crowns for their father's straw hats. Sitting in her bed, Ellen could make one crown each day. She was happy to give that 25 cents every day to help more people learn that Jesus would soon be coming. Chapter 5. Sad and Disappointed Mama, I've never been so happy, Ellen exclaimed as her mother helped her into her wheelchair. 
Only three more months and Jesus will come. He's going to make me all new. Just think, Mama, he'll give me a strong, healthy body and I'll have a beautiful face, no more smashed nose. I can hardly wait for October 22nd to come. Oh, Mama, I love him, I love him, I love him. I wish everyone in the whole world loved him too. Seven years had gone by since Ellen had been hit in the face with a rock. Seven years of pain and years of sadness too because she wasn't strong enough to attend school. But during those years, she'd made Jesus her best friend. She loved to remember her wonderful dream when Jesus told her not to be afraid and she never forgot his beautiful smile. Ellen still made crowns for hats. As she worked in bed making the crowns, she prayed for her friends. She still gave every penny she earned to buy papers to give away telling the wonderful news she'd learned from the preacher Miller. King Jesus is coming in less than three months. He will come in the clouds of heaven on October 22 this year. Get ready, get ready, get ready. The glorious news travelled like spreading fire. Men, women and children confessed their sins so they could be ready. Many, many people were baptised. Newspapers carried big headlines. Churches were too small to hold all the people who wanted to go to the meetings, so they met in huge tents. Every night, 5,000 people crowded into a tent that was made to hold only 4,000. People also stood around the edge listening. Every morning when Ellen woke up, she sent her thoughts flying straight up to God. Take me, dear Saviour, she prayed. Keep me from doing or saying or even thinking anything that will draw me away from you or that will hurt anyone. Make me pure and clean, Lord Jesus, just like you. As the days went by, Ellen, Elizabeth, Robert and Sarah kept telling each other that Jesus would be coming in a month, then three weeks, then two weeks, then one week, then in a few days. Excitement grew in their hearts every day. Finally, October 21 came. All that day, Ellen, Elizabeth, Robert and Sarah kept repeating, This is our last day on earth. Jesus is coming tomorrow. At the supper table, Father Harmon said, Children, this is the last time we'll eat supper around this table. Tomorrow we will eat with Jesus in heaven. Ellen was thrilled just thinking about that. Jesus coming tomorrow. Food didn't seem very interesting or important. Tomorrow she would see her best friend Jesus. Emperor penguins, Mrs Tammy. They are the largest penguins in the world and usually only live in the Antarctic. So it's a real surprise to see them here today. Maybe they're on holidays, Ranger Dan. Look at them waddling. They sure walk funny. Yes, Mrs Tammy. The penguin certainly does walk in an interesting way. God designed their bodies for speedy swimming, not fast walking. And their wings are more like paddles that push them through the water at great speed. And they're definitely not used for flying. Ranger Dan, penguins walk so straight up and down, it's almost like they're soldiers marching. Well, in a way they are, Mrs Tammy. But they're not marching for their country. They're marching to honour the greatest king of all.
they salute the emperor and hail the king. Bow to his majesty, his praises they sing, and the penguins march so straight and tall to honor the greatest king of all. Yes, we salute the emperor and hail the king. Bow to his majesty, his praises we sing, and like the March tall to honor the greatest king of all. They sure are special, Ranger Dan. I don't think I'll ever forget seeing the Emperor Penguins marching, and it will always remind me to honor my great King Jesus. Me too, Mrs. Tammy. Oh, careful now, Mrs. Tammy. We're heading into polar bear territory. Stay close behind me and keep your wits about you. The polar bear is the biggest, most powerful and most dangerous animal in the Arctic. Are you sure it's safe, Ranger Dan? I've been out here to see my mates the polar bears a few times, Mrs Tammy, and we'll be safe if we keep our distance from the big ones. See that mound over there, Mrs Tammy? That's the polar bear cave. Oh, look, the mother bear's leaving. She must be heading out to get some food. If we're quick... We just might be able to see one of her cubs. Oh, this is so exciting, Ranger Dan. Are you really sure it's safe? Yep. Come on, Mrs. Tammy. Now's our chance. The mother will be gone for a little while out fishing, so we'll be able to safely give the bear cub a cuddle. Okay. If you say so. Come here, little fella. There you go, Mrs. Tammy. Give this little guy a cuddle. Oh, his fur is so soft. It sure is, Mrs. Tammy. The polar bear actually has two types of fur to keep him warm. Thick woolly fur down close to his skin and hollow guard hairs that look like drinking straws that fill up with air and stop the polar bear from getting wet. Sort of like God gave him a raincoat made out of fur, Ranger Dan. Sure is, Mrs. Tammy. And if you're buried down deep under that white fur, you're going to see the polar bear skin. Tell me, what colour is it? It's black. Yep, that's right. You'd think it would be white or pink, but it's black. The black skin acts like a sponge and helps the polar bear to soak up any of the heat that the Arctic sun sends down to warm him up. We better put this little fella back down now. Wouldn't want his mummy to catch us here in his cave. Righto, Ranger Dan. Oh, you know, you can really tell when you look at a polar bear, well, any animal really, Ranger Dan, that it was made by a perfect designer. Our God. Yes, Mrs Tammy. When we learn about any of the creatures that God has made, it becomes pretty clear that they didn't just happen by chance, from a great big bang, but were designed and made by our creator God. From where came the polar bear? From what did we get? What we got? Oh, who designed this earth we're in? When, just when did it all begin? People want to know from where and from what did we get? All the things we know we got are just a mistake from long ago. A great big bang. I don't think so. 
but we got oh who designed this earth we're in and when just when did it all begin the bible tells us all the truth it's in god's word we find the proof so we don't have to wonder who what where because we know the god who is actually We got what we got, we know who designed this earth we're in, and when, just when, it did all begin. Boys and girls, I'm Auntie Nat. I'm so glad that you've returned to read the Bible with me. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Have you got your Bibles? Are you ready to follow along? Today we're going to read out of Matthew. We've been reading out of Luke the last few weeks, but today we're going to read out of Matthew. So if you go to Matthew and we're reading chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now boys and girls, a long way away in Persia, a group of men called the Magi, who were a wealthy group of philosophers, were studying the heavens. They were also familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. And if you go to Numbers 24:17, it talks about a Messiah coming. They saw a star in the sky they had not seen before. It appeared the night Jesus was born. Do you know that star was actually made up of shining angels? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, these men felt impressed to go in search of the Saviour. Travelling by night, they followed the star. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were very surprised no one knew about the birth of Jesus. Do you know the priests had heard about the shepherd's report, but they just dismissed it. It's a bit sad, isn't it? Let's read verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Now, boys and girls, it tells us Herod was very troubled when he heard of the Magi's visit. Herod was a very mean and nasty king. He had already killed many of his family members who had threatened his throne. 
and he is now feeling very threatened again that somewhere there is a baby destined to be king. Let's continue reading in verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, boys and girls, the wise men continued following that star to Bethlehem, which I said last time is about an eight-kilometre trip. By this time, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus were in a house in Bethlehem, and this is where the wise men came and worshipped Jesus. They gave them beautiful and costly gifts. This God orchestrated so Joseph and Mary had some means of survival to live on when they escaped to Egypt later on. God is so good the way he, he does things to look after us. Let's continue with verse 12. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, boys and girls, this is talking about the wise men. God gave them a dream and told them not to go back to Jerusalem and tell Herod what they'd seen, but to return home a different way. God used very poor people who were the shepherds and very rich people who were the wise men to pay homage to Christ, the Son of God. This was done to show that Jesus came to save both rich and poor. No one was left out. This was done so both classes could connect with Christ. Do you know, boys and girls, Jesus came for everyone. He even came for you. Hello boys and girls, it's Dr. John again with another story by Eric B. Hare who wrote his wonderful book, Jungle Stories, nearly a hundred years ago. And this story has a strange name. It is called Father Knife. When Parquet was born, his mother was told that she had a baby boy but that she was not very strong and she must be very careful. So despite this, the awful heat, she moved to an inner room where it was quite dark, where never a breath of air could penetrate, and there ordered her mat to be laid beside the fireplace. As there was no chimney for the smoke to go through, it just filled the room, blackening the bamboo walls and rafters, and finally escaping as best it could. Stones were placed by the fire, and when hot, they were wrapped in old rags and used for hot water bottles. She was told not to drink any water for three days and was fed on chicken. We wonder how she survived those awful days. Many mothers do die as they thus ignorantly try to be careful and get better quickly for their baby's sake. This mother had a very hard time and emerged from her inner room very weak and sickly. Her weakness was reflected in the baby boy, and he made no progress at all for several months. They expected him to die. But he persisted in living, yet he was so thin and bony 
And when at last they thought of naming him, the best name they could think of was Pake, which means Father Skinny or Father Thin. So Pake, he was called. The last part of his name is also what we call the big knives for cutting bushes and working bamboo, so that we have become used to calling him Father Knife. The poor little chap had a real struggle just to live. He seemed to catch every sickness that went around. They blamed the spirits. They made offerings. They tied charms around his neck, in his ears, around his legs, and everywhere, but he was just as thin as ever. When he was two years old, his baby brother was born, and the year after that, his father died. Then his struggle for life became harder and harder. Some thought that it might be the fry smell that was causing all the trouble. That is, the smell of anything frying or burning, supposed to produce all kinds of diseases, from boils up to cancers. So they built a little shed, like a chicken house, on stilts, away from the house where he could not smell the fry smell. And they eliminated all the fats and oils from his diet, but he got no better, and this impoverished diet stunted his growth to quite an extent. And so the years rolled by. His little brother caught up with him and then grew bigger and bigger till all took parquet for the youngest. By the time he was 12 years old, he was still a poor little fella, the biggest part of him being his stomach because it had worms and a spleen enlarged from so much malaria and other bad diseases. The missionary, living some four miles away, often visited the village. He had pictures and blew a cornet, which is a type of trumpet, and had medicine with him, but he does not remember having met Parquet in those days. But no doubt the little fellow enjoyed the missionary's visits and liked listening to the music and looking at the pictures as well as did the other dirty, naked little boys that always crowded around the white man to examine his clothes, his hat, his leg skins, and to receive a pat on the head or a smile or a kind word from the Tara. Thus, little by little, the missionary won the confidence of the village folk, and they eagerly sought his advice and assistance in cases of trouble and sickness. Thus it happened that a few years later, when little Parquet had a bad attack of fever, his mother said, I will go and put him with the Thara to eat medicine. Accordingly, one day they arrived at our little dispensary. There were many patients that morning, some with sore eyes, some with ringworm, others with nasty sores and fever, and while waiting their turn, they visited in the waiting room and looked at the bright Sabbath school picture rolls on the wall. Little Parquet was delighted to find so many pictures. He had no idea that there were so many pictures in all the world. Calling in one of the schoolboys, he asked, This one, who's he? That one, what was he doing? He was having such a delightful time he almost forgot about his medicine. And when his turn came, he asked anxiously, Thara, I've seen Jesus and Mary and Peter and all those, but Adam and Eve, where are they? I said, do you know who Adam and Eve? Oh, yes, don't you remember? You brought them over to our village two years ago. Have you still got them? Those two I would very much like to see. So I took him over to my library and in a minute or two had found Adam and Eve. 
Oh, the little fellow was delighted and putting the picture on the floor, he lay down on his stomach and visited with his old friends. There was the snake, the temptation fruit, the angel with the fire sword. Oh, he'd seen them all before. My interest was aroused in the lad at once, and I had a long talk with his mother after which she decided to allow her son to come to school so that he could eat medicine and get strong. Anyway, he was only a burden to her. He could not mind buffaloes or plant rice, so he might as well just go to learn books. And that was how little Parquet came to school. He brought very little with him, a roughly made top, a big bamboo pipe, and the little knife he had made them with. No suitcase, because all the clothes he had was all he stood up in. And while he was not in school, he kept his precious shirt wrapped around his head so it would not get dirty. The poor little fellow had the same hard time getting used to things as was common to all who came to school from the villages. One day, going on my rounds, I missed him from school. Peter, the teacher, explained that he had gone out of chapel half an hour before and had not yet returned. I guessed the trouble and knowing some shady places and being gifted with a sensitive nose, I soon came across the little fellow sniffing smoke from his big bamboo pipe. Oh, Parquet, I said, now what's the matter? Couldn't you stand it? Don't smoke, laddie. Only a few more days and that craving will be gone and then you'll get a clear head and you'll start to get stronger and stronger. You want to be a good man so that you can help your mother, don't you? Come on, see how far you can throw the river with your pipe. See, I'll throw the river with a stone. Perhaps you can throw farther than I can. Hmm, there was a tugging of the heartstrings. That dear old pipe. But plunk went the stone and kaplunk. A few seconds later, told that the victory was won as the pipe went into the water. It made a marvellous difference in Parquet now that he was in school. Regular nourishing meals, regular exercise and no smoking made a new boy of him. He learned to sing and to take his part and he made many new friends with the Sabbath school pictures. He always knew his memory verse and belonged to the Missionary Volunteer Society and by and by... That missionary spirit got into him just as it had into the others before him. To be sure, it did not seem to be much that he could do. Perhaps when he grew big, he could preach like Tara or sell books or do something that would be worth reporting. But right now, he tried to pray every day and read the Morning Watch. The Morning Watch is a collection of Bible texts to read every morning. Then, too, there were temptations to smoke and to chew betel nut that he could overcome, and as these were already on the report form, he felt he was really a member of the family. Special thanks go to Pacific Press for giving 3ABN Australia Radio permission to read on air a selection from Jungle Stories, written by Eric B. Hare and Ellen, the girl with two angels, written by Mabel R. Miller. Also, thanks goes to Stanbra Press for giving 3ABN Australia Radio permission to read a selection of stories from the set of books called Uncle Arthur's Best Bedtime Stories. 
And thanks to Remnant Publications for permission to read the Remnant Young Scholar Study Bible on air. We would also like to thank Daniel and Tammy Cinzio for allowing us to play their CD, Frozen Chosen, on air. For any other information about the Children's Story Hour, you can contact us at radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Jesus is always there when I need him. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help me, ready to cheer. Just when I need him most, just when I need This great big world of ours Who made the pretty birds and flowers Who made the trees that grow so tall The Bible says God made them all the days, who made the night, who made the stars that shine so bright, who made the moon that will not fall, the Bible says God made them all. Who made the hills? Who made the plains, who made the sunshine and the rains, the winter, summer, spring and fall, the Bible says God made them all.
made the days, who made the night, who made the stars that shine so bright, who made the moon that will not fall. The Bible says God made them all. Just When I Need Him Most was a song that Auntie Cecily sang, and after that, Gavin Chitalia and the children sang Who Made This Great Big World. Well, boys and girls, we have come to the end of another Children's Story Hour. We thank you for joining us, and we hope that you have enjoyed the program. On behalf of Auntie Sue, I would like to say goodbye, God bless you, and we'll see you again next week for another episode of the Children's Story Hour.